to another exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, a proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm one of your hosts, Theory Mobile Shag. Now, each episode, we tell you it's going to be exciting, but today, we really, really mean it because I have a very special guest that I'm going to be interviewing in just a few moments, folks. We're going to sit down for a chat with Mr. Jerry Conway. Now, if for some reason you're not familiar with Jerry, he is a well-known writer and producer of TV, films, novels, and comic books. He's well-known for co-creating The Punisher, Firestorm, Power Girl, Vixen, Miss Marvel, and many, many more characters from Marvel and DC Comics. Jerry's written significant runs on comic books such as The Amazing Spider-Man, Justice League of America, The Fantastic Four, Superman, Iron Man, Detective Comics, Avengers, and the list goes on. You name it, he's probably written it. He was one of the most prolific comic book writers during the 1970s and 80s. Jerry, along with artist Al Milgram, co-created the character of Firestorm the Nuclear Man in 1977. And then in the 1980s, Firestorm was very successful for DC, and Jerry wrote nearly every single appearance of the Nuclear Man for the first eight years of the character's existence. Well, after 30 years away from Firestorm, Jerry is back writing our favorite hothead. Just yesterday, a new anthology comic hit the stands entitled Legends of Tomorrow. Obviously, the title's taken from the television series, but it takes place in the DC comic book continuity. It features four full-length stories, including Metamorpho, Metal Men, Sugar and Spike, and the aforementioned Firestorm. A few days ago, Jerry was kind enough to sit down with me to discuss the Legends of Tomorrow comic book. It's with great pleasure I get to introduce you to the current writer of Firestorm, Mr. Jerry Conway. Folks, I am very pleased to welcome to the show Mr. Jerry Conway. Jerry, thanks so much for being here again. It's always my pleasure. Boy, you're, you're having a pretty good week, I think. I, uh, <laughs> a new Firestorm comic on, on the stands with your name. Punisher's debuting in the Daredevil TV show this weekend. Um, anything else major going on? You know, life event changing? Uh, well, we have a continuing success with Carnage, which is always, always lovely. And we're seeing more and more of my characters appearing on uh, TV shows, which is always bizarre and weird. So. <laughs> 
so the big news with Daredevil, I suppose. I just before we get into the Firestorm stuff. So Netflix, sure. it's a huge hit. Punisher being introduced. They got the that great actor who's playing it. Have Have you heard anything about it? Have you been involved at all in any of this process? Uh- I haven't been involved directly, no, but I'm aware that they're doing what what they believe is a a really good job, and the response, people who've seen it, has been very, very positive. So I'm excited to look, I'm excited to see it. I think this may be the first time that The Punisher is actually captured, you know, correctly on on film. So uh, although I do think Thomas Jane did a terrific job in in his film and in his short film. So it's going to be fun to see. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I'm I'm thrilled for you. It just seems like everything's coming up Jerry right now. It's well, a little yeah, it's very strange. <laughs> when this episode is released, the Legends of Tomorrow comic will have just come out yesterday. It's been 30 years now, Jerry, since you've written Firestorm. How does yeah. it feel to be writing The Nuclear Man again? It's very, very interesting because I, 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 I was asked about this recently, and I, it's like a sense of deja vu, but it also feels like it, that there's been no intervening time. Wow. In the sense that I'm writing the character as I wrote him the last time that I wrote him. You know, I'm trying to adapt to the way he's presented now, you know, but, but at the same time, it's, it's still the voice, you know, that, that I hear in my head. <laughs> and the, the one big change, is, as somebody said to me, is like, I'm, you're closer in age to Professor Stein than you are to Ronnie Raymond. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, before you were closer in age to Ronnie Raymond, you know, so how does that, how does that feel? And it's, it, well, the interesting thing is I still feel a great deal of empathy and, and connection to Ronnie, but my, that, that sort of windowed through the perspective, you know, that life experience brings to you, you know, where before I think I would have been more, I don't know, purely on Ronnie's side, you know. Mm-hmm. And now I have a little bit more insight into what can be possibly infuriating you know, in his behavior. <laughs> so uh, it's it's fun. You know, it's a lot of fun. I really love the character. I love uh, the chance that DC's given me to, to do it again. Well, I, I think as as a long term reader, a lot of us feel the same way that we've as we've aged with the characters and stuff. We we're seeing a lot more of ourselves in Professor Stein. No doubt about that. <laughs> Especially now that I have a sixteen year old of my of my own. <laughs> ah, yes, that that does change your perspective quite a bit. So, what can you tell us about the story? I'm not I'm not necessarily looking for spoilers, obviously, but what? right, right. Yeah. It's a six part story, so it's uh, it's not like six individual issues. But it the notion is that the marching orders that I was given when when I talked about this with Dan, with Dan was that they wanted to bring the character more in line with the way he's perceived, you know, in the in the uh, the TV show, and that was fine with me because certainly the way he's perceived in Legends of, of Tomorrow is much closer in tone and in uh, dynamic to the way that I had originally conceived the character, which is you know a, a young t- teenage jock, let's say, you know, teamed up with a older kind of fussy professorial type, mm-hmm. and in the essence of that, you know, you. You have the internal dynamic, you know, the, the very human dynamic of, of the teenage mind trying to be taken seriously and independently as an adult in conflict with the adult who's looking on and, and second guessing and criticizing and uh, offering unwelcome suggestions. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, and that I think is a I think that's a kind of a primal and archetypical relationship that was lost for many years in the in the book. So the goal of this of this miniseries is to bring Ronnie and, and the professor back together again as the core team, but still acknowledge the importance of, you know, characters like Jason, Jason Rausch, to that to the current history 
history of Firestorm so that you're not, you know, just saying, pretending, well, that none of that ever happened. But, you know, this is the new 52 version of Firestorm, so we are trying to take that into account. You know, you bring up, a, when mentioning the new 52, brings up a good point. This will be the first time that Ryan and the Professor have actually formed Firestorm together. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Do, you, do you address that in the story, or is it more like they're back together? No, that's the core of the story, is, is, is how that happens and how that comes about. It, it comes about because of crisis uh, for Jason uh, that puts Jason's life at risk and requires uh, Ronnie and the professor to be, become Firestorm. And in the course of their attempts to help Jason, you know, that, that that's how they're what amounts to the new version of Firestorm, even though it's the old version of Firestorm, <laughs> uh, you know, comes uh, comes into play. So I think the most important question I could ask you throughout this entire process is what's it going to take to get the puffy sleeves back? <laughs> You know, it never came up. <laughs> I, I, there's a part of me that would have been very, very happy, you know, if we had just sort of done it, you know. Uh, but I think having that conversation would have been a bizarre one. So <laughs> right. uh, it, it, it just sort of been, if, if someone had just, if, if my artist Eduardo had just drawn him that way, I, I think none of us would have objected. But <laughs> the idea of specifically saying, let's put those, let's put the pirate sleeves back on, you know, is. <laughs> It seems a little bit, uh, a little bit outrageous. Well, if we need, if we need a letter writing campaign, you just <laughs> let me know and I'll pull the trigger, man. <laughs> well, let's see how that. Let's see how the first six issues do it. If there, you know, more radical changes to come. Who knows? <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So you mentioned Jason, and this will be your first time writing him. So, and, and it's interesting that you know he's been around twelve years now. That's an incredibly yeah. long time in the character's lifespan, and he's very important. How did you approach Jason? How did you get yourself into Jason's character? Well, Jason, Jason is a is similar to the kind of guy that I was when I was a kid. I mean, Ronnie, Ronnie has certain uh, attitudinal a- aspects that I had. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a bit of a jackass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And a little bit impulsive, you know, and I was I was that way uh, as, as a teenager, as I think many teenagers are. But but Jason is, is a bit more of a, a, a perfectionist nerd, you know, and very anxious about making a good impression. And, you know, he's, he's, he feels like he has a lot to live up to, you know, I mean, he's in a, in a way he sort of carries his uh, his father's hopes and dreams on his shoulders. And that makes him a bit more self-conscious. And and I think that's that is something that I can relate to because I, I was a similar kid in that in that regard. So while I don't have Jason's uh, background as a young black man to deal with, you know, which, which you know limits my understanding, you know, of, of the particular dynamics that he has to has to work with. Uh, I do like to think that, that that at least in his core group of friends, that doesn't become like a defining issue for him. So hopefully, you know, it, it won't sound too false a note, you know, when I'm writing it. I think you're probably on to it. I mean, one of the nice things about Jason's character is race has never been a major focus for the character. It's it's more about who Jason is at his core. Like you said, is the way he grew up with his family, his his core values, his intelligence. And so, no, nah, I, I, I bet you're right on target. You wrote you wrote Ronnie well, for years, so I think I yeah, think you're right yeah. in that wheelhouse. Well, I, I, I think there is a there is a legitimate use of, of Jason to address those issues, and if we do, if the book does continue, it, it will certainly be something that I'd want to uh, to try to bring up. Because even if it's not personally something that you encounter, you know, we do live in a world in which being a young black man is a problem, and even if he's sheltered from that to some degree because of you know his being in Minnesota, for God's sakes, <laughs> uh, he is still he's still going to encounter you know a a prejudicial system that I think would be kind of interesting to, to, to have him encounter and just to just to address that. But that's not really the, the focus of these first six issues, if there are any additional issues. Well, that's that's where my next question is. So 
typically with these sort of stories, DC wants you to leave a character in a better place than where they started and right. be more usable. So is, is it across our fingers and hope this sells well if we see Firestorm again? Have they told you there's some plans for him afterwards? Because he didn't get mentioned in the DC Rebirth stuff, so we're, match heads are kind of well, scratching their heads. They did. They did say that that the purpose of this, when we, when we first talked about it, which was back when it was going to be a miniseries and not part of the Legends of uh, Legends of uh, Tomorrow anthology book, that the purpose of it was to reboot, uh, do a soft reboot of the character and position him to be to be more functional in the DC universe. It was my hope at that point when we were doing it as a miniseries that you know if the sales were really good that they would be inspired to continue. The, the, the book. I don't know how they can really judge that, you know, under these circumstances. Is he's not he's not the lead. I mean, he's the lead character in, the, in at least the first issue. But he's sharing the book with four with three other characters. So I don't really know how you would tell whether he was selling well or not. You know, so I don't really know what what'll happen. I'm not gonna lie. It, it's a tough sell at seven ninety nine an issue too. Um, yeah, I've had yeah. a lot of people express concern to me, and the thing I try and always point out to them is, well, you're getting four complete stories. And really, it's only cost you two bucks an issue. That's the cheapest I bought a comic in a long time. Sure, but it's, of course, it's also assuming you would have bought those four individual stories too. True. So true. Good point. <laughs> there is that. There is that. But I, I think you know they they did it because they they see, perceive a benefit to collecting these things together and putting them under the, uh, the 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 overall title of Legends of Tomorrow, and they think that that will gain a uh, a wider audience for this material than it would otherwise. So hopefully that'll be the case. And 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 if you know they they get some feedback that that people are asking for the new Firestorm book, you know that might have an impact. I don't know. You hear that, Matchheads? Let's get out there. Let's spread the word. Yeah, absolutely. Now, since the last Buy time, ten copies each. There it is. <laughs> Speak with your wallets. <laughs> it's only seventy dollars <laughs> or eighty dollars. <laughs> you know what? Think about all the Jerry Conway Firestorm comics you haven't bought over the last thirty years. Figure out what that would be financially, and put that into Legends tomorrow. It seems feasible to me. <laughs> now, since the last time we chatted, we've seen the television debut of another of one of your major creations, Killer Frost. So what would you think? That's right. Uh, I thought it was pretty awesome. I thought they did a pretty nice job. You know, they, they, I, I love the fact that it's the Earth 2 version of uh, Caitlin Snow. That that was a clever clever way to have their cake and eat it, too, as yes. it were. So that I would look forward to seeing, you know, if they managed to figure a way to bring her back again. That would be great. Or if they could, you know, figure some way to have that affect uh, Caitlin and Earth 1, that would be terrific, too. But, you know, it was it was a pleasure to see. You know, it's nice. It was a lot of fun. I, I actually had the chance to meet Danielle Panabaker this past summer at a convention, oh, okay. and she was absolutely wonderful. She was so nice. We we talked about my daughter for a while. I mean, she's, she's super cool. So I'm so glad to see her get a chance to get out there and do some cool stuff like that. Yeah, she was awesome in that. So uh, another one of your creations, Slipknot, going to be in the Suicide Squad movie. Right, along with Killer Croc. So that's uh, oh god, I keep for, I always forget Killer Croc's yours. I, that's terrible. How awful of me. Yeah, well, it's uh, I, I have a feeling Killer Croc is going to last longer uh, <laughs> in that uh, storyline. Uh, I think I think Slipknot is the is the red shirt for that that particular movie <laughs> to establish that. These guys are in deep trouble, you know. <laughs> I think you're probably exactly right. I mean, he served that function in the comic. And yes. then uh, all the publicity photos, he's only in one of them. So <laughs> doesn't I was, I was I was actually flabbergasted that he was in anything. <laughs> <laughs> he was it was an interesting – it was a character I, who I liked primarily for the name. I thought it was a cool name. Oh, so. he's, well, the character design, too, that Raphael Cannon came up with is awesome. I mean, with yeah. the noose around the face, he's – We've been doing our podcast now for 
uh, five years and four years, something like that. And Slipknot has sort of become like our token character to poke fun at, but at the same time <laughs> that we love for the same reasons. So yeah. when they announced him, we got very, very excited about him in the film. So we're, we're cheering him as the hero of the Suicide Squad film. <laughs> That's great. So, which Firestorm Rogue haven't we seen on TV? And by the way, there's not many left, but out of the ones we haven't seen on TV yet, which one would you like to see get the the television treatment? Well, I'd love to see Firehawk. Uh, Lorraine Riley. So, I'd like to see that, because I think it would be kind of cool to see it. And especially if they could somehow do the the wings effect, you know, that would be kind of cool. They seem to be able to do anything nowadays, so I would think that would be awesome. That would be awesome. What else? You know, I think, I think, uh, let's face it, Black Bison has got to make an appearance. <laughs> right. <laughs> he's, the, <laughs> he's one of the more silly ones. I, I, I'd be happy at Bug and Bite. They'd be great. You know, they'd, I'd like to see them. Uh, I've been a long believer that Bug and Bite are ripe for a, a revamp. Whether you call them, I don't know, malware and something else, you know, whatever you call them. They're, they're perfect characters. They're, they're twins. It, it fits the total CW model perfectly. Mm-hmm. It'd yeah. be great. And I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, they, they seem to be, uh, you know, mining the, the, the fields fairly, fairly fully. So, you know, anything is possible. They're not really connected with thinking process there, but it does seem that they like to, to dig these characters up. I think Lorraine Riley, Firehawk would be awesome, and I think Bug and Bite would be fun. So, See, so, somebody clearly likes your comics. <laughs> I mean, well, even, even Jax, who's yeah. the new Firestorm, he's Jefferson Jackson. He was Ronnie's best friend in the comics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I think. well, what part of it is, is that it's a generational thing. A lot of these, uh, just as I was a big fan of 1960s, or early 1960s Marvel comics, and to me, the, like one of the most exciting pieces of news that I heard in the last couple of years about Marvel was that Doctor Strange was going to have it. A movie because I was a huge Doctor Strange fan. Oh, okay. Uh, so you know, but if you're if, if you're somebody who read read comics in the seventies, uh, eighties, or late seventies, eighties, or nineties, Doctor Strange is just not going to have the same impact for you. But for anyone who read that comic, you know, in the, in the early sixties, it was pretty huge. You know, it was a pretty cool, mind blowing sort of character. So in the same way, I think there is a, there's a generation of, of comic, of uh, comic book fans who came of age in the late seventies, early eighties, who are now, you know, just old enough to be running television shows and, and <laughs> uh, being executives at uh, networks and, uh, you know, appreciate this material. And the stuff that's touchstones of their childhood is the, is the era that I wrote, wrote in. So that's why I think they're, they're going back to the things they loved. It's kind of, it's, and it's great for me. Right, exactly. <laughs> we, we actually had a lengthy discussion recently how uh, Silver Deer, who was the female counterpart of Black Bison, would be perfect actually for the CW. You get you and Raphael crafted this wonderful origin about how her little her twin brother was murdered on an Indian reservation and and there's just a lot of emotion tied to it and mm-hmm. you know she's gorgeous. CW loves to put beautiful women on the show. It she changes shapes. She'd be an awesome addition as well. Absolutely. Let's I, your 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 mouth to their ears. <laughs> I love what they did with Vixen. You know, they just put, they put, just had Vixen in uh, Arrow and she looked great. You know, she had a very, uh, did a very nice job of, you know, evoking her powers and uh, her, the, the uniqueness of that character. I, I'm, I'm, I'm just in awe, you know, because a lot of this, a lot of these are characters that were, that in terms of the older fans when they came out, didn't get the kind of response that I had been hoping for, but obviously they had some kind of impact, you know, on, on the younger fans who are now old enough to be doing television, like I say. Right. Well, both Vixen and Firestorm were victims of the implosion. So, and here we sit, mm-hmm. you know, all these years later and they're, they're making you money. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
So now, over at Marvel, you recently wrote the Spider-Man Spiral story, which, by the way, I just read, which was awesome. Absolutely loved that. That was fantastic. And now you're writing Carnage. Now, you're no stranger to writing comics about villains. After all, you you launched that legendary Tomb of Dracula series back in 1972. Now, how do you approach writing a series when the lead character is a villain? Well, it's it's a, it's a question of who's the protagonist and who's the antagonist. Uh, mm-hmm. You can have a, a, a lead series in which the antagonist is your is the the nominal lead, you know, but you still your your protagonists, the people who are who are who you're following and rooting for. Uh, you can also be rooting for the for the antagonist, but but you know your primary protagonists and Carnage are the people who are pursuing Carnage. And in that case, you know, I try to create a fairly varied group of characters, which we're adding, you know, in our second second sequence. Adding some additional characters, and what, what what you try to what I try to do is give the the antagonist a a quest or or a a razenda that that's separate, you know, from what our protagonists are up to. The protagonists have a very clear agenda, which is that they're chasing, you know, the bad guy, mm-hmm. and that that's fairly simple. And then you, that, that allows you the opportunity to develop interpersonal character uh, relationships. And, and uh, you know, you, you never have to question, well, what are they up to? We know what they're up to. They're chasing the bad guy. Right. <laughs> so it's not it, you, motivation is not an issue. But with the antagonist, in order to keep keep things from being kind of monotonous and, and dull, you want him to also have his own agenda and his own quest that he's on. And that was, I think, the, the big breakthrough that we came up with, but uh, with having him pursuing the the, uh, the Darkhold and pursuing the powers that that will invest in him, because it, it raises the stakes, and it also keeps the two storylines both in parallel and uh, separate, you know, I mean, he, and it provides a way for you to get into different environments, different situations, because he's going on his quest, he's not just being reactive, they're not just being reactive, everybody's got something that's uh, that's driving them forward. Well, it's obviously being received well by the readers. I hear nothing but wonderful things about the Carnage book. Well, that's great. I, I got to tell you, it, it's just amazing to me because you and I have now been chatting off and on for so I've, since I've been running the Firestorm fan website, which is something like seven years now. Wow, that's and a long time. here you sit now writing again for Marvel and DC. You're back where you, at least where the fans want you. <laughs> that's exactly do it. Writing a Spider-Man related book and writing a Firestorm related book. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Whoever's rubbing that lamp, you got one more wish to make. Make it a good one, okay? <laughs> well, I'm, I'm I'm just delighted to be doing it. I mean, it's uh, it, I, I had serious questions whether there'd be any interest in my actually doing this work and whether I could do it. You know, I mean, two two questions. You know, one would anybody want to read it, and two, uh, you know, aside from hardcore uh, fans, but. Two, you know, would would I be able to deliver the goods? And you know, the response, uh, in particular, the Carnage book, because you know, then you're not really dealing with a lot of nostalgia-based, mm-hmm. you know, response. You know, people aren't saying, "Well, this is just like, you know, this is like what you did with with Spider-Man." You know, that that's so I'm really happy because I liked your Spider-Man, so I like this. But with the Carnage book, you know, there, uh, this sort of stands on its own to to an extent, and uh, I'm very pleased that uh, I've gotten the reaction that I have. Uh, and I, I credit enormous amounts of that to Mike Perkins, the artist, uh, who has delivered a, a really beautiful-looking book. Well, I'm, I'm going to wax your car for just a second, but I, I, I'm not shocked that people are, are flocking to your writing because you have always been the master of the three-act story. 
you you tell a story better than just about anybody in the business from <laughs> well you you get the big picture that you do the three acts within the issue but then you get how the trade's laid out you get that it's a six inch arc or whatever and you get three acts if you just look at it from the trade paperback as well and it's structured beautifully in every issue you walk away feeling like i got a full story that was awesome and yet it's part of a larger arc and it just pulls the readers in oh, well thank you that's my waxing the car moment terribly sorry well i try and i try i mean it's i'm i'm not necessarily the best plotter in the world in in terms of you know coming up with like unique unique takes on things but i do try to 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 structure things so that they they have a uh, have have that that compelling story momentum you know and and that that's that does require thinking about it you know in 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 you know overall technical terms i mean there's a very technical way to do all of this you know mm-hmm. but, but that's what that's what you get after you've been doing it for 40 years <laughs> you kind of know what what how things work you know it doesn't mean that they'll be brilliant but at, at the very least i know the house will stand up right <laughs> so, well, you mentioned mike perkins doing the art for you on carnage now you're on the firestorm book you're working with i'm probably going to say his name wrong but eduardo Pansica and Rob Hunter. How did you work with them? Were you writing full script? Was it you know the plot first style? Well, it's a DC book, so it's it's written full script, and actually Marvel books are written full script too. But with the DC books, and even with Firestorm, I mostly wrote those full script. And uh, Eduardo was was one of the artists that was uh, considered for the book, and was the one who, in my opinion, you know, hit the hit the uh, the characters the best because it's it, as opposed to a lot of superhero books. Where what you really want is big dynamic uh, imagery, you know, of the, of the, the fights and the, the the spectacle and all of that. Firestorm is a book that I think you're probably better off focusing on the, the storytelling of the characters, you know, the, the storytelling of, of of these kids, you know, when they're interacting in, in school or dealing with their parents or dealing with each other. Because that's a that's a it, it, that's kind of where the book lives, you know, in its in its heart. And Eduardo really kind of caught that, you know, the best of the artists that we were looking at. Now, everyone who's listening is has the benefit of they probably already have it in their hands. For those of us living in the past here, uh, I've seen a couple <laughs> of pages. They've released a couple of pages on I think it was Comic Book Resources preview pages, and they're gorgeous. They look awesome. Yeah. It's, I think it's the first two pages of the first issue, and they look great. He's got it's so dynamic. Firestorm looks spot on. Jason's head, the professor, all of it looks mm-hmm. beautiful. Beautiful. I can't yeah. wait to see it. Well, I hope you hope you enjoy it as much after you've read it. Oh, I'm, I have no doubt. I have no doubt. So I, I got to ask: Are we going to get like some of the high school drama that we're used to with the oh, fire absolutely. show? Absolutely. Each of them has their own uh, their own high school drama story going on. There's there's uh, romantic problems. There's football football problems. There's uh, uh, scholastic problems. <laughs> uh, there's mother and dad problems. And and it's it's all it's it's all to make you care or to help you care about these characters as people as they encounter you know the the larger drama of the uh, the, the big issue story. You know the the, the I mean if, if if Firestorm is fighting someone, you want to care about both Ronnie and Jason and the professor, you know, you want to want to know what they're all up to. And that's that requires us delving into their personal lives. I can't wait to see it. That's always some of my favorite stuff in the Firestorm. I call it the subplot check-in usually, but yeah, where you get too. to see what's going on. and Because you're right, it makes you more invested in the characters. Absolutely. So, and, and you don't have to say anything, but is is there a big bad in this, as the term goes nowadays? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's uh, and I can tell you because it'll be in the first issue. It's it's Stanton uh, Black Multiplex. Oh! Uh, 
Love multiplex. I love multiplex too. I mean, he's, he's slightly different again because it's the 52 version of multiplex. And rather than the way that he was in the original version where, you know, he was, a, he was a product of fission that, that, uh, where he, every time he, he split, he got smaller, which I always thought was hilarious. Uh, <laughs> I love the cover, the cover with all the tiny multiplexes ganging. Yeah, I just there. love that. Yeah. Yep. But, but in this version, what we're dealing with is actually he's more of a, a quantum uh, effect in that, you know, he's, his splitting is actually a probability re- uh, reaction. Hmm. Uh, so, which comes out, I mean, I'm, I'm giving away a bit of plot that's, uh, it comes out uh, as the series progresses, but it really, it's, that's not integral to your enjoyment, hopefully, of the, of the character. But the, the notion is that each, each version of him is another probable version of him. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And there's going to be repercussions of that, uh, because his, his overarching goal in, in the course of this is to do something about that, and that could have bad consequences. Very cool. I can't wait to read about that. Awesome. Yeah. Now, just last week, this is, this is big news for us big Firestorm fans. The first three issues of the 1982 Fury Firestorm series were published digitally on Comixology. They, they yeah. finally released the first three issues. We're so, and by the congratulations on having that work being made available digitally. We just got to get them to do the rest of the series now. Well, I'm but, sure they will. If those, if those sell well, I'm sure they'll keep, keep doing it. For, for the nerd in me, the frustrating thing is they stopped halfway through that Killer Frost JLA story. They published issue three, but not issue four. I'm like, ah, but we'll get there. You know, maybe they'll do, maybe, maybe they're planning on doing several issues a month. You know, that would be, that would be great. That'd be you know, awesome. It's, it's, it's not like the, I wish they, I wish DC had a version of Marvel Unlimited because that would be a great way to, to keep up with their older titles. Jerry, you are beating the drum. I have been beating for about a year now. So. I, I'm a Marvel Unlimited subscriber. I'm a happy Marvel Unlimited subscriber and would gladly pay twice as much for a DC platform like that. I'm sure they'd be happy to charge you twice as much. I'm sure they would. So. <laughs> tell, feel free. Next time you're in a meeting with Dan, tell him you heard one person would say they'd pay double what they pay for Marvel. You bet. <laughs> so where I was going with digital comics. Now, that, that reading experience can be very different with the mm-hmm. sort of panel-by-panel viewing and the way it changes splash pages I mean, and the coloring and everything like that. Do you feel like writers have to adapt their writing style to accommodate the digital platforms? I don't. I don't know that, that writers do necessarily, but I think artists do. I think that they have to be conscious of it. But I don't, we, I don't think we're there yet. You know, I think there are some artists who are becoming conscious of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's, but it's a hard, the hard part of it is that, that you are still publishing primarily as a, uh, a physical, uh, product. You know, you're still, uh, the, the primary market still for comics is, uh, you know, the, the physical comic book. But eventually I do expect just because it seems to me that, that, that we can't keep trying to sell, you know, 20, 30,000, 40, 50,000, whatever it is, comic books a month and, and maintain a business model that, that costs, you know, I mean, that, that drives kids out of the market, you know, because let's face right. it, you know, kids can't afford a $4 comic or a $3 comic on a regular basis. Uh, you know, I was joking before, you know, that, you know, hey, you know, buy 10 copies of the, my, my issue and it's $70. I mean, let's seriously think about that. You know, it's like, that's a, that's to be a comic book reader today, you have to have an income. Uh, yeah. it's, it's not a, it's not a question of, of having a, uh, an allowance, you know, or, or an idle, you know, couple of bucks that gets you four comics. And it's not like the, the experience of reading a comic takes you long enough to justify that four dollars yeah you know i can buy a i can buy a book on amazon a digital ebook on amazon for between five and ten dollars it's going to take 
you know, a couple of days for me to read. And I buy a, a comic book for $4 and it takes me 20 minutes. You know, yeah. if I'm lucky, if you're lucky, yes. <laughs> yeah. so it's a, it's a, there's a mismatch there. And I think the digital is a way that that's going to be, that's going to address that at some future point, but that's going to be a, that's going to have to be a, you know, a, a paradigm shift that I don't think the business has gotten to yet. I was a retailer for four years back in the 90s during the boom and the bust, right? Right. Straddled both sides of it. Mm. And, um, you're absolutely right. I mean, digital is, they have to move that way if yeah. they want to stay viable as a company. I mean, obviously they're viable as an intellectual property generator. Uh, I mean, yes. just look at the, the cinema. Oh my goodness. How sure. things have changed there too. They, they've got to make some changes rapidly. Well, we'll see. You know, I mean, they, they, I'll give DC a lot of credit that they've tried to pioneer the, the, the digital comics, uh, you know, in a variety of ways. But it's, uh, it's a, it's a hard road to hoe, you know, cause, yeah. cause, you know, there's, until there's an actual distribution system that's intuitive and easy, you know, and, and we were moving in that direction with comicology, but then when Amazon bought it, you know, it sort of took a step back, a huge step back. It's, it's just hard to, it's just hard to see. I don't know. I don't know how you do it. You know, I mean, maybe prevalent, more prevalence of tablets. So. Yeah. If, if, if Apple and Amazon weren't butting heads so fiercely, you're absolutely right. That comicsology would have been the iTunes for comics. We would have been yeah, there. Yeah. We were so close. Yeah. And well. you make a great point about giving DC credit, and I, I don't know that I do that often enough. I mean, they've got DC's got a ton of digital first stuff. I mean, you go back to the you know 2008, they were doing Zuda comics. I mean, they've they've been on mm-hmm. the forefront of a lot of the digital pioneers. Yeah, yeah. Jim Lee is is heading up there. I mean, as co-publisher, his his uh, brief is to do digital uh, to, to work on the digital side of things. So, oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, that's that's partly his you know his field of, of passion. I think. Very but cool. It's hard to it's hard to make that. It's like you can't get there until you've gotten there, mm-hmm. and getting there is very hard. So it's it's so this is the long roundabout answer to your question. Do I, do I write for that media? I don't specifically write for that media, but I'm aware of it. So it's, it's something that I do keep in my mind, you know, that, that uh, in, in terms of pacing, I want each panel to progress the story in an interesting way. And hopefully uh, it's not just, it's, it's not just page by page, but it's also within the page. It has to be uh, visually interesting. Well, again, waxing your car a bit. You're doing a great job with it right now. I I read the spiral storyline in panel by panel view on the Marvel Limited app, and uh, just it it was fitting every single panel through. So great, great. Not that you need me, some comic dork, to tell you you're doing a good job, but there you go. <laughs> but I do it for the comic dork, so there you go. <laughs> so speaking of being a comic dork, what comics are you reading currently? Oh wow. Well, I I'm reading a variety of things. Let's see what was I. I was just obsessing. My, well, I'll, 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 the easiest one for me is one that I think is probably the best single comic being published today. Mm-hmm. And I say this over and over and over again is Atomic Robo. Uh, I am a okay. huge, huge Atomic Robo fan, and I'll, I'll sing the praises of that book. It's got the kind of silly sensibility that, that I was trying to achieve in, in Firestorm, but at the same time, you know, with, with kind of serious life and death stakes and a brilliant uh, approach to world building and uh, backstory. If you haven't read it, uh, the uh, uh, it's it, there's two volumes out through IDW right now, collecting the first, I guess, uh, 
first six, seven years of the, of the book. And then, of course, I love Matt Fracton's uh, stuff and Kelly Sue DeConnick's uh, uh, work on uh, Pretty Deadly and Bitch Planet. I like Matt Fracton's uh, Sex Criminals uh, at Marvel. I'm a fan of uh, almost anything Brian Dennis does, and uh, I really like the Jonathan Hickman's work. I, I tend to follow writers more than I follow you know, individual titles. So sometimes, you know, I'll, I'll be reading a particular writer is doing and they'll jump into a different book and I'll follow into that. But like uh, Scott Snyder's Batman, kind of say? Right. <laughs> I, I read, you know, I, re, I, I, I don't read it the way I used to read it. I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't follow every month, you know, making sure that I get everything. I go through like spates of, uh, two or three days where all I'm doing is reading comics and then I'm burned out for a few weeks. <laughs> you, I'm glad you mentioned Atomic Robo. That's uh, Brian Clevenger, if I remember right. Is Yes, Brian Clevenger. I don't know if uh, he's the writer. Yeah. I don't know if you're aware or not, but when the new 52 was being pulled together, he actually submitted a Firestorm pitch. Yes. Yeah. I, I, he told me that and I was like, I wish he'd, I wish he'd, they bought it. You know, I think he would have been great. He, he's uh, got it published on his website. It's really a fascinating read. Now, I don't know, as someone who's writing Firestorm, I don't know if you want to avoid other people's vision of Firestorm, but it's a, it's a good read over on Clevenger's uh, blog. It's, it's oh, very I'll interesting. Take, I'll take a look at it because I, I really respect his, his work. Uh, he's, a, he's a funny writer and, as I say, is really great at world building and kind of this subtle and, and uh, uh, left-handed characterization of characters. It's, it's very, very good stuff. Well, Besides Firestorm and Carnage, are there any other projects that you're working on or you've got in the pipeline? Not right now, but I know that as I'm finishing up, I'm, I'm writing issue uh, five of Firestorm. So I'll be done with that in a couple of months and hope to be picking up self, something else at that point. I don't know what that will be. Hopefully uh, it'll be something of interest to my readers and if I have any, and we'll see. You know, maybe. I, I think it's very fair to say people will, as you said, you follow writers. I think a lot of people do that as well. So okay. whatever project you're working on, I think you, uh, I think people are going to follow you. Oh, that's good to hear. I would, lo- I would love that. It's nice to be relevant again. <laughs> well, Jerry, thank you so much for making the time to talk about this. I sincerely appreciate it. I know the match heads out there will really appreciate hearing from you, and everyone is so excited about having you back on Firestorm, back where you belong, and uh, we hope we have more opportunities to do that after these six issues. Me too. Take care of yourself, and thanks for the support. I really appreciate it. Woof! That was awesome. Since that recording, folks, the Legends of Tomorrow comic has come out. I've actually got it in my hands at this moment. And once I'm done putting together this podcast, I'm actually going to go sit down and read it. Something I've been waiting to do for 30 years is read a new Jerry Conway Firestorm comic. So thrilled about this. One more thing, since we recorded that interview, Comixology has continued to release even more digital versions of the Fury of Firestorm comics. So go out there to Comixology, pick them up. In fact, at the time this episode is released, Comixology is running a sale on Legends of Tomorrow-related comics, and you can actually pick up the Fury of Firestorm books for only 99 cents an issue. Uh, I don't know when you're going to listen to this compared to when the sale ends, but run out there and check it out. The Fury of Firestorm books are well worth it. They're gorgeous in digital format. So, folks, that's going to do it for this episode of the Fire and Water Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, please go out to our website, which is fireandwaterpodcast.com, where we have got a slew of different shows dedicated to DC Comics, some Marvel Comics, movies, you name it. We've got a ton of different shows out there. We'd love for you to check out any of the number of the shows as part of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. If you'd like to follow us on Facebook, we do have a Facebook page, Fire and Water Podcast Network. There's also a Twitter page, which is FW Podcasts. That ends with an S. 
or you can find me specifically over at firestormfan.com. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter under those same handles. You can find my podcasting partner, Rob Kelly, over at the Aquaman Shrine website, or on Facebook and Twitter under those same handles. He's also on Twitter under Film and Water Pod. Folks, that's going to do it. Thanks so much to Jerry Conway for sitting down with us. Thank you, DC Comics, for bringing Jerry Conway back to Firestorm. Until next time, fan the flame and ride the wave. Aquaman and Firestorm Fighting crime together Soak them down Or burn them up No one does it better Whenever you find trouble They'll always be there To catch them in a bubble Or even torch their hair They stand for truth and justice And see a land In there Aquaman and Firestorm They make a super pair Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever, yeah!